podcast ain't played nobody your college football marriage of numbers and words i am bill Connolly, and once again uh stephen godfrey is still on double super secret mission uh that we cannot talk about and that i have acknowledged this much means i've said too much so i for at least one more show maybe more uh i uh, had to bring in a guest host and you know who hasn't been on papn since something like may bud elliott uh, sb nation's recruiting head and head of tomahawk nation uh, i love it when bud comes on and so we invited Bud on for the entire hour, hour plus, I guess you could say. How you doing, Bud? The plus means better. Of course, the plus always means better. Or I guess in my case, it also means opponent adjusted. But regardless, um, it, it means good things. So uh, glad you could make it on here. Um, I got to say, I did not intend to open this show with Arkansas. Really wasn't a... Uh, Really wasn't a thought of mine, but uh, we are going to open the show with Arkansas because Jeff Long, uh, the athletic director, uh, and until last year, the head, of, the the face of the uh, college football playoff committee, uh, is gone, and so uh, he's apparently leaving or fired or just agreeing to walk out or whatever the situation is, uh, and one can only then assume that Brett Bielema's uh, future in Fayetteville. Uh, is 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 weeks, uh, if that, and uh, so we'll we'll just start with the basics here. What what can a, 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 a an Arkansas with a competent athletic director and a good coaching hire? What can Arkansas? What should Arkansas expect to accomplish in life uh, with those things? I, I guess this is where the hate and ass bud thing comes in. Um, look, they've made it to an SEC championship game before. Yeah. Uh, now that was before Saban got there. I'm pretty sure, right? That was '06. Mm-hmm. Because um, Florida it, beat him, right? It was a couple. It was it, the it was '06. They lost by ten to Florida, which I mean is a pretty good result with that Florida team. And then '02, they got rocked by Georgia. And in '95, they got rocked by Florida. <laughs> so they've been three times and and played well once. I, I look. I think Arkansas is a good program. The problem is they're in a division with a lot of other good programs. And yeah. so you're how many games a year is Arkansas going to play where if they're doing well, but everybody else is also operating at peak efficiency, um, are they going to be an underdog? Yeah. And yeah, they can get better players, LSU, Alabama, Auburn. So that's four. I think they can recruit on the level of the Mississippi schools, but you got four programs in that division that can pretty clearly bring in better players. And what's, what's their cross division rival? Is it uh, Mizzou baby? Okay, there ancient you go. Rival, ancient rival, Missouri. Right. So, I mean, basically, four of your seven SEC games that you play on an annual basis, even if you're doing well, you're going to be operating at a, at a talent deficit. Some some of those games, a severe talent deficit, just because there's not a whole lot of good players in the state of Arkansas. It's, it's very tough, and you can do it. We, we saw we saw to do some good things early on, had some bad luck, Lost coach Sam Pittman to Georgia, which I think really hurt them. He, yeah. He's doing pretty good things now with Georgia's offensive line. Uh, and just your, your margin for error there in the SC West is, is just so small when, when you have these other programs able to sign just you know buckets of four and five stars every year. Yeah, and that was uh, the assistant coach turnover, both you know because they got better jobs, and and I think in a couple of cases they just left, um, you know because they weren't doing a good job or they didn't like their job or whatever. I think that was a big thing here. I always look at when a coach has proven he can succeed and obviously winning at Wisconsin is different than winning in the SEC West, but he still produced top 10 caliber teams at Wisconsin. Uh, however, he did it. I uh, went to whatever it was, three Rose Bowls. When you 
when a coach that has succeeded doesn't succeed at your school, like the, the more I try to get to know the coaching profession, the more I think, you know, there, there's something, it, it wasn't like he just forgot to coach. That's, that's the line we always use. And, and so I do wonder like from an institutional standpoint, what, what was preventing him? Was it, did he need more coach salary money? He got more than he got at Wisconsin. Um, or, you know, just what were the impediments beyond having to play a bunch of good teams? Uh, because the bottom line is like the, a few years ago, what was it? 2014 when they, they like gamed S and P plus where they were like eight and five and finished sixth or whatever that was. Um, they lost a ton of close games. They won, they beat some, you know, some talent deficit teams, you know, Texas or, and whatnot. Uh, they rocked a few of those teams. They had an identity. They were really, really good. And they were so close to like a 10 or 11 win season last year or two. They've just stunk. And it's just fallen apart, be it because of <clears throat> because of the assistant coach thing, because of whatever. It just hasn't worked, uh, and and just playing in a good division is no longer the um, is no longer the reason where that where why they're not winning ten games. So I do wonder what was going on there. I do wonder how well uh, suited a new coach will be to come in there, especially if especially if Arkansas boosters are making this hire, which is just a terrifying thought. It's weird to me too, Bill, that like the state of the approach here that we're going to, we're going to pound the rock. We're going to grind on people. Uh, that was almost one of their biggest weaknesses to be honest. And they, a lot of times they got worse in, in the fourth quarter. And it, it does make me think there are certain leagues in college football or certain divisions specifically where if you're not like a recruiting King, it might be pretty tough to, to run that type of approach. And like yeah. specifically here, uh, look at Boston college in the AC Atlantic. They're actually having a decent year this year, but under Adazio, that's their approach. But the problem is Clemson gets to D-Lyman, Florida State does, NC State does, Louisville does. If that's in your division every year, that's a whole lot of games where in the fourth quarter, that, that opponent's probably still going to be fresh yeah. and have really good D-Lyman. And the SC West is kind of like the ACC Atlantic on steroids when it comes to D-Lyman. I mean, they're <laughs> they're really tough. That's tough to, to take that approach. Um, I, I, I don't know if you can do that at Arkansas and, and win like that consistently. Yeah, there is um... – like my, I think my hierarchy of needs when you're at a job where you are going to be, as you said, uh, operating at a talent deficit often. I mean, number one is to find an awesome coach. You know, that's I always th- like I was trying to learn my lessons when I'm wrong. And I remember writing, I think it was 2011, that first year I did these big season previews. I wrote about uh, Vanderbilt and they they had just hired this, you know, Maryland offensive coordinator, James Franklin. And I was, I, I kind of, my preview was based around the idea of like, what are they doing? They needed to go after a Niamatololo. They needed to take a left turn when everybody's going right. They need to do something different to succeed there. And then, you know, without doing anything incredibly unique from a, from a, um, a tactical standpoint and without, rec- I mean, recruiting well for Vanderbilt, but not recruiting well for the SEC, uh, they won nine games twice. And, and so like, I think instead of having the whole make a left turn zig when everybody's zagging approach, like number one is if you find an awesome coach, hire him and see what happens. But then if you can't, if you don't have what is in your mind, a slam dunk, and honestly for Jeff Long, Brett Bielema might, might was probably a slam dunk. If you can't, then you need to figure out something that nobody else is doing so that you're hard to prepare for and you're unique to prepare for, uh, and you can win games in that regard. I think that's some of the reason why Ole Miss had, had a lot of success uh, yeah. under Freeze. They, that's probably the closest approximation to the Baylor system, right, to, to the Browse offense that we've yeah. seen in the SEC, I, I think. Um, I mean, I, I know Gus does some stuff, but he's, he's kind that's of a, a, a native-wing T coach. 
Well, yeah, now. You, by the <laughs> way, can, can we talk about how, how many passes uh, Drew Locke threw against Delaware State? FSU plays Delaware State this week, and they look really bad to me. And oh, uh, Drew Locke chucked it 35 times against them, I think. Well, this was a, it was a confidence building exercise because if I remember correctly, let's see, I'm pulling up last year's at that point, they had just thrown three picks against Georgia. They lost by one. Um, It was only their fourth game under Heupel. Heupel last year, I think I've, I've loved watching Heupel's develop this offense because it was basically at first it was like, here's what we're doing. Tempo, 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 tempo. Even when we shouldn't be running tempo, we gotta, we gotta ace that first. And then we gotta learn how to slow down from there. This year, they're running more. They're slowing down more. But last year, it was really kind of a one-trick pony. So, yeah, he went 26 for 36 last year. But if I remember correctly, almost all of those – I don't think he played in the second half. I think that was all first half. Uh, It was like third quarter, the backup quarterback was in. Fourth quarter, they canceled. So, um, yeah, in his defense – I believe those all 36 pass attempts and 402 yards and five touchdowns were in the first half of the obnoxious 79 to nothing win. I mean, that's wow. Delaware State's really bad. They, like they, they're they're really bad. Like are they uh, running clock bad? Because I'm, I'm wondering if Forte's going to have a running clock this well, week. Yeah, they're. they're uh, I think it was 12. Oh, I don't remember if they canceled the fourth quarter now or if they just played 12 or 10 minute quarters in the second half. It was one or the other. But yeah, they definitely shrunk that game down uh, because it was, it was, it was a paycheck game. And, and at some point everybody realized, yeah, this isn't worth it for anybody right now. They Delaware state is for 2017. They are 247th in the Sagarin ratings. There are 254 teams in division one. <sighs> By the way, I, two more things about Arkansas. I know this is not an Arkansas show. <laughs> I have this theory that if you're going to be, if you're going to be bad, you can't also be boring. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and Arkansas was both. Uh, and then, their defense also kind of cratered. I mean, yeah, look, no, if, yeah. if you look at their like defensive percentile performance on, on the football study hall uh, pages, they're la- 104 a m so, so their games against, against FBS opponents, 36%, 24-55. Ooh, there you go against New Mexico yeah, State, yeah. though. 47-5, uh, 5, 5, 10, 33, oh. and 7. So they, they weren't getting any stops. Mm-mm. And this was, I mean, in 2014, they were uh, seventh in defensive SP plus they had a dynamite off our defensive line that year. Uh, and then those guys graduated. And I believe they, I believe they changed coordinators if I remember right. Uh, and then in 2015, they were 65th in 2016, they were 64th. Uh, they are currently 110th. Uh, I mean, offense isn't great, but it's not terrible. And, and they're just, you know, when they lose, they've given up what 28, 50, 48, 41, 52, and 33 in losses. Uh, can't do that. Can't do that. And, um, it, it, man, it was kind of like that TCU game just kind of stole their soul now that I'm looking at it. Like they, you know, did what they needed to against FAMU. They did what they needed to for three quarters against TCU, and that was it. That was – they were spent at that point. Dude, and, you know, the thing is, I tend to think defense is more about players. Right, it, because it, and look, coaching yeah. certainly matters on defense. You, you have to have good technique, and you have to run a, a coherent scheme. But I, I don't think you see quite as much creativity on defense as you do on offense. I mean, no. Offense seems, and defense tracks much better with the recruiting rankings, yeah. which typically uh, you know reflect size and athleticism combination. Yeah, I, yeah, that's what I was about to say. There's definitely a stronger correlation with success uh, in in those defensive in the recruiting rankings with defense than there is offense, and even within defense, um, pass defense and cornerback recruiting has the highest, I think, correlation overall. It's like cornerbacks and D tackles are what you absolutely have to have. Um, 
and and well, I mean, Arkansas hasn't had many of them of late. They've they've been a really identity free defense for a while now. Exactly. I, I, what I would do at Arkansas is I would try to get a guy that runs a very creative and different offensive scheme, and then I would load up that staff with enough recruiters to where I can get some decent defensive players in there to get stops. Because so right just, now I just I don't think there's enough defensive talent on that side of the ball. Like they can't all be coaching. So how much money are they going to offer Gus Malls on then? I, that's a that's a really good question. And if you're Gus, <laughs> I mean you're having a good year this year, but um, if they lose to Bama and you got a new athletic director coming in, do you think do you think he could just bolt? I think as as Start Godfrey fresh. and I as Godfrey and I have said many times, Auburn is crazy. Uh, like logic would dictate that when you are eight and two and you just destroyed the number one team in the country, uh, and uh, you know your only losses have been t- on the road to two good teams by a combined twelve points, and you're in line for another B- uh, not BCS bowl. Uh, that's an old term, a, a CFP bowl, whether it's the playoff or not, uh, and you're having yet another really good season. Logic would dictate that you get a big raise and a contract extension. Uh, but that's uh, Auburn doesn't really follow logic and Malzon might not really follow logic either. He's been in Auburn for a while. Um, so it really could be a situation where, you know, if they lose to Alabama, maybe they have to lose by a bunch. Um, both parties just say, you know what, this has been fun, but you know, I think I'm, I'm tired and I'm ready for a change and everybody goes on. I don't know. It'd be crazy to, to give up. You know what I always say about coaching hires and crap shoots and whatnot and Gus Malzahn is fantastic coach one of the probably 15 best in the game when you combine recruiting and tactics and everything else even though he overthinks sometimes it'd be crazy for that relationship to end without a very very good reason but there's a chance it ends without a very good reason yeah I I, I could see it happening um you know and then Morgan and I did a podcast back on September 20th I actually tweeted out this morning that the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast and we were kind of debating back and forth back then whether half or more of the SC jobs will open by the 2019 season. Yeah, by, by the start of it, and I think the answer now is yes because you have Arkansas is open, or well, we think going to be open. I think it's a safe bet. Yeah, yeah, A and M could open. Uh, Auburn, you know, maybe Malzahn leaves. Mississippi Always State, awesome. maybe Mullen leaves. Tennessee is now open. Old Miss has been open the whole year, and Florida's open. Yeah. So I think just counting my fingers, that's seven. So if we yeah. can get one more to fall here. Yeah, I mean if uh, Mullen goes to Florida or Tennessee, that's right. A, um and then you've got other like I you know, I'm I'm looking at the other schools here. Georgia. Could Mark Stoops it. get Nebraska? That would, hmm. That'd be he interesting. Recruit, he recruits yeah. Ohio pretty well. Like I don't think Kentucky's actually all that good this year, but he's no. gonna take them to what, back to back bowl games at Kentucky, which is yeah, no, they've not been super lucky. easy. They've been lucky as hell this year uh, as a whole, but they're still uh, winning games at Kentucky, and and that's worth something. That, that'd be interesting. I don't really love Mark Stoops. I, I um, you know, he, he might has, be too Bo Pelini in terms of defensive coach who with with the recruiting connections to Ohio. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of the selling points, and those were sort of the selling points of, of Pelini as well. Yeah, he hasn't offended nearly as many people though, so he's this got that point yeah. for him. But yeah, like I mean, technically Kentucky could uh, open because uh, you know if if a Nebraska or somebody with uh, you know a, a little more of a blue blood tie to them comes calling, he's not he wasn't born in Kentucky. His his ties are to Ohio, and you can milk that for Nebraska just as well. Um, let's see, you've got well, you know Saban could retire. Uh, Kirby Smart uh, is probably not leaving anytime soon. Orgeron is, I mean, he's going to be on the hot seat every damn year because that's the way it works, but he's not leaving anytime soon. 
Uh, Missouri, I I still don't know what to think about this current hot streak. Like they're in the freaking thirties of S and P plus now. That's how good they've looked against bad teams. They haven't beaten a team that's in the double digits yet, but they're suddenly 34th because they're beating every triple digits team by five touchdowns. They've been driving the cover craft, man, the last couple of weeks. Oh, just yeah. They're like, what's that number? All right, double it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, why, that's why they're so high in S&P. S&P will project them to win by 10, they win by 30. Project them to win by 15, they win by 35. They, like, they keep just uh, going crazy with the uh, totals here. Uh, and they're not going to play a good team the rest of the year until uh, potentially a bowl. So they could end up with freaking like seven or eight wins. Um, I still have questions about Barry Odom. And if they lose Drew Locke to the draft, I'm, I'm curious what happens. Or if they lose Josh Heupel. I think Heupel's awesome. Um, so like that could still fall apart within a couple of years, although I assume it won't at this point. I figure he, he'll end up with enough stability that he stays a while. Muschamp will probably stay a while, I guess. Um, it'd be hard for him to get a better job, I think, and he's winning enough there that he might stay. Yeah, like that's, that's a great fit, by the way. Yeah, I mean, a, a much better cultural and stylistic fit, I think, than Florida. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it, I, I don't know who's a other than Steve Spurrier. I don't know who's a cultural fit at Florida at this point. Yeah, they, they just want points. Like I, I really, <laughs> I, I know, I know Ryan and Spencer joke about it, but a couple of my neighbors are, are Gator season ticket holders, and they're just like. Even when they're winning, it's like, oh, that's so boring. I'm like, y'all are very spoiled, but I get it because you grew up on on uh, on Spurrier and Meyer, who actually had good defenses too, but uh, you know, at least they were scoring points as well. Right, yeah. Spurrier didn't uh, have that many bad defenses. They were they were scoring right. a lot and not allowing many. That was kind of how that worked. Um, and, and Meyer's defenses, they, they were really good. <laughs> yeah. Like the one time, like 07 was the one time it didn't all click really well for that defense, and, it, and, and they still were like top 10 until late in the season. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I think there's no question that. And, and this we kind of knew this was coming because the SEC kind of had a stable year last year, um, and you, you can't remain stable that long. Crazy stuff's going to happen on the horizon at some point, and now we're seeing it. Uh, and, and really, I don't like – if like the, the if the chief rumors end up being true, like Florida gets Chip Kelly and Tennessee gets John Gruden, which yes, I know John is a, Gruden. Uh, I know it's not going to happen. And we've talked about it. Like it's it's a purely John Gruden's got the greatest agent in the world. I realize it. Uh, he's going to end up making like eighteen million dollars a year at ESPN, even though ESPN ESPN can't afford anybody else. Um, but like I, I and it, Godfrey and I have both said on this show we want we want Tennessee to get their way on this one. But even then, like, I don't see Gruden working out all that well. And Kelly, who the hell knows? I, I'm really curious about Chip Kelly when he comes back to college um, because so much changed for him at the pro level uh, in terms of what worked and what didn't, mostly what didn't. And you think about, like, Steve Spurrier being fun and gun, going to the NFL and coming back and, and basically turning into, like, a grinded-out South Carolina offense. Um, really curious what would happen with Chip Kelly. But um, I, needless to say that if those two are, are, are the hires that either or both could still be making a hire within three or four years, I think. So I'm interested to see if Florida does get chip, like, you know, players in, in college don't have agents or at least they're not supposed to. Right. Uh, Correct. Is he going to be able like, can, you know, like a lot of these guys in the NFL, they didn't want to wear his like sleep study monitors and all, all that kind of like biometric stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, in college, you don't really have the leverage to tell your coach. No, no. Yeah. I, they, it, they do. Yeah. 
is that a an, an, an efficient you know inefficiency that he's going to try to exploit in college because that could be really interesting yeah basically there's so much new technology in terms of and i'll get to i was going to ask you a couple development questions here in a second but in terms of that whole quote-unquote player development area um there there's that's an unexploited area and i think a lot of teams are doing things now with gps and this and that but i think the the, the teams that are first able to kind of just coordinate all those things into actual results um are going to have a massive event. I mean, that's part of the whole like quote unquote money ball thing. Like that's, that's how, that's, that's how golden state. Um, well, that, and having, you know, a couple of teams pa- having Minnesota pass on Stephen Curry is also how they succeeded. But, um, but they, they like, that's the, the areas they tried to exploit was being on the cutting edge in terms of development and health and all those things. And if he can pull that off, I mean, that's an advantage right there. Tactically, I don't know what to expect from him, but somebody's going to figure out how to, to develop a, a, a true like figure out how to truly prevent injuries better than other people and things like that. Tennessee, by the way, could use a guy who can figure out how to prevent injuries uh, at a higher level than they had the last couple of years. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be incredibly interesting there. Um, and I think if you're Tennessee, there's a lot of good candidates out there that you could hire, right? If and look at Scott Frost, look at Dan Mullen, to be honest, like Mullen does a really good job at Mississippi state and Mississippi state fans don't like hearing this, but he's to me kind of a miracle worker there. Yeah. Like if, if you stick an average coach in, in Starkville, they're two and six every year in the league. <laughs> yeah. That's not a place you can get players unless you are really, really good. And consistently high quarterback play, which is something Tennessee has not had in quite a while. Mm-hmm. Except for, except for that month with Josh Dobbs last year, baby. That's true. He, t- he took off like a rocket. No, we'll, we'll always have November, 2016. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I saw a headline the other day. I don't even remember who it was um, talking about how you know Oklahoma and I, you know somebody else, Texas or somebody, should stand uh, are nice reminders for Tennessee fans that you know you you can always come back, you can always turn it around. Like, well, duh, you're always a good hire away, uh, and Tennessee is a good hire away. Although I think there are certainly at this point. You could have the same question as I was talking about Arkansas and getting like administrative, getting all the ducks in a row and everything. Um, something when a pro, when when you've been held back for like over a decade, and for whatever reason you can't make that good hire or you can't uh, get all the ducks in a row, you do start to wonder if it's not just the coach, something else is, is holding for some reason, like you can't get the boosters in line or whatever it is. Like we always say about our, uh, Alabama, like they could never get the, their crazy people in control until Saban showed up. I, I don't know if like, I mean, I think Gruden could get all those ducks in a, in a row for a little while, but then he would still have to coach <coughs> coach. Well, and I have questions about that, but yeah, you know, I, I thought about this Tennessee job a lot, and if you're going to do the, you know, how many games is Arkansas going to play at a, at a talent deficit every year? You kind of have to look at, at Tennessee and, and ask the same thing. And okay. if you if you assume everybody is is, is recruiting, you know, kind of if everybody's everybody, everybody has their act together, right? So mm-hmm. let's put it all on even footing. You got a good coach. You got a good coach. Everybody got a good coach. Great, right? Alabama's going to have more talent than you. Yep. Georgia's going to have more talent than you, and Florida's going to have more talent than you. Yeah. So that's three games every year, and then potentially a team from the West, depending on, on who's on your schedule. They're, they're cross-divisions Alabama, which is certainly a negative. Like We had less miles complaining about playing Florida every year. However, Tennessee has a legit complaint that they have to play the best program in college football every, every single year, and they're not even in their own division. And their fans uh, will, will refuse to take anything less. Like, by God, yes, we're playing them every year. 
Tennessee, to me, if you look at this, I've written about this before. I don't have it in front of me, but a lot of their like Phil Fulmer's record against the best coaches in the SEC was really bad. Like he, Phil Fulmer got fat on, I mean, no pun intended, but got, got fat on beating a lot of the baddest SEC coaches in his time. And look, that that's part of the job. You've got to make sure you don't lose to inferior teams. And he did a really good job of that. But like Urban Meyer owned him, Spurrier owned him, Saban owned him, uh, uh, guy at Alabama before they, they really had the downturn. Um, uh, Stallings. Stallings, yeah. You know, owned him. It really, like, not there, – there's not a whole lot of, like, Tennessee at its best beating other program at their best on, on that resume. And they won a national title, too, which which was really – that kind of, to me, I think might warp expectations for Tennessee yeah. fans. And I wrote about, would you rather have the Nebraska job or Tennessee job? You can get pl- better players at Tennessee. But relative to your league, you can get better, or at least relative to your own division, you can get better players at Nebraska. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was when when you proposed that we, you know, in our Slack room and whatnot. I, I roll. I at first I started to roll my eyes at the Tennessee, of course, but then I started like it took about two seconds to realize. Well, actually, hold on. <laughs> so, and I, you know, that's a, you know, I had the same answer for them too. Like, how does Nebraska get back to where they were? Well, well, to get back to where they were, they have to make an amazing hire. But if you make a good hire. You can at least get back to nine wins uh, and, a, and some division titles here and there. Uh, and how about that for step one when you're when you, you know have it when you have a losing record two out of three years? But yeah, I think the warped expectations are are particularly number one. Tennessee was amazing in the '30s, which when you've got when you when you can uh, properly boast about having a history that always kind of warps expectations immediately. Uh, because if you were good in the twenties and thirties, chances are you have like a 90,000 seat stadium now. Uh, well that, or you're like St. Mary's and you drop football, but you know, for the big state schools, the ones who are good in the twenties and thirties are the ones that are in, have the big, enormous fan bases now. Uh, and Tennessee has that. And they did uh, within the last 20 years for another two years, they can say that we've won a title in the last 20 years and not many schools can say that. And, and so, yeah, I think it's really hard for them to figure out the, the difference between what was it? Oh, Mike Gundy. When I was in Stillwater uh, in September, Mike Gundy basically said like, it, it's really, I find it very important to set realistic expectations. I think a coach and an athletic director and a fan base would all create very different definitions of what they think is a realistic expectation at Tennessee. And if you're the AD there, I mean, do you talk to the guy and say, Hey, if you do X, we are going to be satisfied. We as an administration, as an athletic director, you know, I'll tell and your life will be miserable from the outside, but inside we like you. We understand that the, the limitations and, and, and the, obviously the, the great things about this job as well. And, you know, I really think if, if Butch Jones had kept going, you know, eight, four, nine, and three had not said as much stupid stuff as he yeah. did uh, and didn't have this, this one meltdown year, he's still the coach. Like I, if you're Tennessee and the next guy, you know, goes eight and four, nine and three, eight and four, nine and three. Are, are you firing him? <laughs> right. No, I mean, I, no, I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think you should. No, but Butch Jones, I, I've been struggling to figure out like the right way to describe the Jones tenure, because I think he is a good coach, uh, but I you think, think he's a good is, coach. Or you think he's a good, good, like, like, like game day coach or like, well, just like overall program. Okay, coach. Gotcha. I mean, he, he won it. He won games in Cincinnati. He won games at central Michigan. He wasn't so necessarily recruiting. recruiting. Yes. Yes. The whole, the whole bucket. Um, and 
I mean, I think he can lead a program. Well, I think this is in some ways, this is a case of like, when you play a video game, uh, you know, sometimes like, even when you're really good at that game, sometimes you make bad choices and, and things fall apart and then you start over and the next time you're good. I think Butch Jones is a good coach who made a lot of bad choices at the wrong times. And I think he let the job get to him, uh, the pressure of the job, get into his head. And he was conservative on the field uh, at times when he absolutely shouldn't have been conservative on the field. He got really paranoid with his, his coaches and, and, you know, pushing out an offensive coordinator when offense wasn't the problem or pushing out a defensive coordinator when defense wasn't a problem a couple of years ago. Uh, And well, and hiring, you know, I need to have a state of the art pro style offense. I'm going to hire the, the 1997 Michigan offensive coordinator uh, was certainly not, uh, you know, DeBoer got things figured out at the end of last year briefly when he was like allowed to, when he was actually allowed to play, play with tempo and run his quarterback. But um, like he just seemed to play, be conservative in the wrong ways and get loose in the wrong ways. And it just never quite worked. Like if he got hired tomorrow at Tennessee, knowing what he knows, maybe he figures things out or maybe he never gets out of his own head. I don't know, but it felt like he was just a good coach who made the wrong choices at the wrong times. Can the job just be too big for him? Quite possibly. Like I I think what we don't know, what I don't know is when he was at, at the, at the Mac school and at Cincinnati, did he say stuff like this in the press and nobody just picked up on it? Cause nobody really covers those programs. I have no idea. Yeah. It was like in a vacuum kind of, you know, or, or if you if you're winning, you can kind of say that stuff, and it doesn't matter. I, I I think the job was just too big for. I will say though that look, Tennessee clearly paid too much to get this result. And now they have to pay him eight million over the next right. three or four years or whatever. But Butch did really elevate the talent level in that program. I mean, that, that program is better now than it was when he took over by a lot, both in terms of record and in terms of personnel. I, I think that's that's kind of undeniable. And the next coach will enjoy some of the fruits of Bush Jones recruiting labor. And that's a good setup to get better because I don't think Jones was a very good game day coach at all. And you're right. I don't think he did manage his staff very well. And I mean, everybody says he's, well, everybody I know in that program says he's a really nice guy, but right. the job can just be too big at times for people. Yeah, it really just seemed like he he just kind of melted um, a little bit. And, and and with coaching, it's funny because you learn your lessons in those situations. Maybe you get a chance to prove, you know, like at Orgeron, uh, you know, he, he, if you play your cards right, get a little lucky and, and just keep your head down and, and keep trying to do your best, maybe you'll get a second chance where you can deploy all the things that you learned the first time when it went wrong. But with coaching, you usually don't get that second time. Um and of course, with Ordron, we've seen at least a couple of the same bad habits that he that he had initially, and and so you know, it seems like they're starting to figure some things out now. But yeah, it's it's a it's a weird profession, and there is really is just a chance that he didn't um, <laughs> that he just he, he wasn't going to figure it out. But it, I will use Butch Jones as a bridge into this question. Um, we talk a lot about. So like, I have my little three silos approach where everything is based on, uh, you know, t- everything in, t- in team sports is based around talent acquisition, talent development and talent deployment. So basically with Butch, we just covered acquisition. He was very good at it and deployment. He was really bad at it. Uh, but there's this big ocean in the middle called development that we all know exists. And then we all say, yes, it's very important, but, evaluating coaches, figuring out who's good at developing players and why 
is like this enormous mystery to me. Like I, I'm I always think in terms of like Moneyball and and the the analytical approach, and it's easy to kind of do, devise ways to use analytics in terms of recruiting and deployment. But how the hell? How do you hell? If we were to create a, a ranking system tomorrow to uh, uh, evaluate how pl- coaches develop their players, where the hell do we start with that? That's a really good question. Specifically to Butch Jones, I think you'd have to give him a rather poor grade for the talent development. Right. I mean, certain guys got better, but a lot of them didn't. You talk to certain people in the recruiting industry and they'll tell you that Jones did not do a very good job of de recruiting. And de recruiting is the term that coaches use to basically say, okay, for 10 months, we're going to tell you, you know, on the recruiting trail how great you are and how you're the best thing ever. But once you're on campus, we kind of do need to be able to tell you, hey, man, you ain't worth a damn. <laughs> and and now, now you really have to learn how to play football and get better. And Tennessee didn't really do that. They kind of, kept the least according to people who I trust they didn't do a good enough job of of sort of leaving that recruiting stuff at the door when when the guy finally got in the program Um, and that led to some sort of entitlement issues among young players who really hadn't proven anything Uh, and that's that's certainly a problem another part of development I think is is how you are recruiting and fitting to your system right or on the flip side fitting your system to who you recruit you have to have a good plan there you can't just be a talent collector right okay you know, it's important to get guys who have a lot of talent and who fit your system. That's what the best coaches do. And I don't always know that Butch Jones did that either, right? Like he upgraded the talent level overall, but did all the players actually fit what Tennessee was trying to do? I'm not sure they always did. Right. I don't know if they – uh, there have been many times where I, don't, I, I couldn't tell what Tennessee wanted to do. Um, well, and that's I an think, issue. And I do think that's like I, – I remember saying that about Gus Malzahn like last year or the year before where it seems like you get at certain jobs, especially in the SEC, um, the, the recruiting wave, you get so caught up in having to win big recruiting battles uh, and beat your rival for certain players – that yeah, it it does kind of seem like you lose track of well, what what do we actually need? Um, you know what what who who's out there that we can actually find to make us better as opposed to just winning our this recruiting battle or keeping this player away from Tennessee or whatever the situation is. Um, and I do think that's probably a lot easier to do in the SEC. So with Malzahn specifically, uh, I was told by a guy, uh, and look, I can't report this and confirm it, but. I said, why is Auburn starting to recruit all these pro-style passers? Mm-hmm. And the guy, his theory was that, and I, he's fairly well connected there. He said, look, Nick Marshall missing those throws in the national championship <laughs> game that would have put Florida State away really aided him. And he was thinking, if I can have a guy who can just hit a couple open throws better, you know, we, we, we can take this thing to the next level. But I think that the downside of that is some of those throws might not be so open if the defense is not having to worry about the quarterback's legs. Right. If you so so you couldn't take that last step with him, but you also got as far as you did with him and because of him. Or to, not completely because of him, obviously, but yeah, you kinda you, you can lose track of what got you somewhere by starting to focus on what couldn't take you a step further. Right. And so now Auburn is back to recruiting more quarterbacks who are are great runners and okay throwers, Mm -hmm. which works really well in Gus's system, to be honest. Like they've had a lot of success with that. Yeah. And I do think there's another part here, and maybe this is also kind of SEC specific. I got I remember getting a question a while back and and really liking it, but not knowing where to take it. Um, We tend to evaluate position coaches. We know how to evaluate head coaches overall, sort of, uh, and offensive coordinators. It's all about play calling is how we evaluate them uh, fairly or not. 
but like with position coaches, we, we have teachers and we have recruiters and uh, I, I'm trying to remember what the question was specifically. I think like we, we tend to frame things. I, maybe it was on this show. Actually, we tend to frame things like, you know, as a head coach, are you a recruiter or are you a, a, a tactician or whatever, but really it's not about the head coach. <clears throat> it's like, how are you deploying? What are you choosing to focus on with those position coach hires? And if, is it possible that, especially again, in the sec where those recruiting rankings themselves and those recruiting battles tend to mean more sec, Florida state, Clemson, some of those schools, is it possible that sometimes you can get caught up in hiring recruiters and forgetting that guys need to be able to actually like, like congratulations for having a great recruiter as a receivers coach. You also need to be able to coach receivers. Uh, yeah, receivers. I think that's, that's absolutely. And you, you have to be able to find the right mix and you have to identify what positions require the most coaching, right? Like I think with offensive line, yeah, you know, that is a really coaching intense position because not only is technique really important there, but so is playing together as a unit. I mean, you have five guys. Re- receivers don't really play together as a unit. That's more yeah. of a collective individual thing. Offensive line involves actual teamwork. Yeah. The same thing somewhat with the secondary, especially if you're going to play a lot of these, you know, a lot of these match coverages. Look, being a good recruiter is really important because you do need elite talent there. But that's also a thing where your guys have to communicate well and they have to play with good technique and, and they have to, you know, running back is a very individual position. Yeah. Um, I would rather stash some recruit. Now, look, I think receiver technique matters a lot, but not necessarily teamwork. Um, you know, running back technique matters some, but you're not really working in teamwork that much with with your other running backs. Um, you know, linebacker kind of the same way. So you do need to figure out what positions you can put. Like your guy, okay, maybe he's not a great coach, but you know, he's a hell of a recruiter. I can stick him most often at running back coach. Yeah, because that's the position that guys come out of high school the most college ready yeah, and, that's and true. Able, yeah you know able to contribute so they don't they, they require the least coaching so really let's i'm trying to i'm suddenly trying to rank uh, order of importance uh, in my head in terms of position coaches and and being able to actually coach versus recruit uh, o-line is almost certainly number one i would yeah. say i think o-line number one as far as like if you have to have a dud recruiter but a stud coach yeah i want him at o-line and then probably um I think secondary coach would be the the next there because okay. uh, you know you do have to have good technique and, and good yeah I was thinking uh, either good D teamwork in the back end I was thinking either D line or DBs next I I wasn't quite sure assuming you're not splitting that up and we are seeing and yeah. this is going to happen a lot more with the new tenth coach coming on right oh that's right you're yeah. going to see a lot more corners and safety coaches being hired I think then they're gonna they're gonna split them up because a lot of a lot of schools now just have one I, I predict that will be the most added position is a second secondary coach because you really you still need a linebackers coach but now teams are playing so much nickel and dime that you know that that group and offensive line are the two spots where you're probably supervising 15 scholarship players right. if, if you handle it with just one guy now i'd rather split that in half yeah yeah i'm looking at my adjusted line yardage rankings for offense and I, this kind of backs up like it, it is kind of like an inefficiency that you can exploit again like where the, the top five in adjusted line yards, there are a bunch of good recruiters there. OU's one, Notre Dame's four, LSU's three, uh, but Purdue's 11. Missouri's six, or Missouri's eight, Mississippi State is sixth. Uh, you know, Army, Navy, obviously, are very high. SMU's 15th. A lot of that is dictated by system, but it, I've always felt like offensive line is an area where maybe, like, 
Well, and, and I think we've talked about this before, like where, you know, there, for every amazing five star, six, six, 310 pounder, there's a six, seven, 250 pounder, uh, that, that a lesser school can go nab like Boise state doing this forever or Wisconsin or whatever, where that, where you can uh, over two or three years slap about 65 pounds on them. And now you've got a basketball player, uh, or a, a guy who's athletic, like a basketball player, only is 315 pounds now. Um, it does seem like that's an area where you can catch up either in development or in actual coaching. Right. And, and there's also, okay, what kind of scheme can you run with, with the players you have that matters a lot there. There, there are certain techniques that you may not be able to ask certain players to be able to do. And if you do ask them that you're not putting them in a good position to succeed, right. you also have to find the right balance. I think a lot of, a lot of tempo teams can struggle with this too, or, you know, not struggle, but you have to figure out the right balance of, how many different pass protections should I run? Right, right. Because if I only one, if I only run one, I'm going to get schemed to death. The pe- people are going to figure that out very quickly, and, and they're going to blitz me in, in areas where you can exploit a certain protection, and I'm done. But if I run too many, I may not be able to teach that. So you got to find that sweet spot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I it is kind of interesting. I guess like O line. We'll say DBs two, D line three. I do think D line uh, D line coach is very, very important. Although they can also be good recruiters, from what I've seen. Um, what are the least? So, so you, you think running backs are probably at the bottom of the list? I think running back by like to, to get statsy here, like a full standard deviation or two. Nice. I mean, I, I really you could probably have another position coach come over and coach the running backs if you had to in, in a pinch, not for a full season. But mm-hmm. I mean, they're just especially at the upper levels. Like, is it really that hard to coach Leonard Fournette or Dalvin cook? <laughs> right. But you know, it's just kind of pass protection. Uh, you know, you got to learn. Yeah, that, that is true. Right. That's pretty much it. Um, you know, and then if you go, if you go big on big, you, you, you're just picking up the, you know, picking up the extra, uh, which I, I, I'm not saying I could be a good running back coach, but if you or I had to go coach a position and like, which, which position would be the, would we be the least exposed at? It would be running back coach. <laughs> okay. Um, so, okay, wait, we need to get to the schedule here. I just saw oh, shoot, yeah. But let me ask, there is one question that we got from a reader that I'll ask before, and this will kind of maybe bridge us into the schedule. Um, our uh, at Horns Up Texas, uh, his handle on Twitter is local milk person. Uh, will the early signing period hurt or help G5 teams? We'll use that as a bridge into the G5 weekday schedule. Uh, I think it'll help. Okay. Uh, because those G5, G5 teams... What do they always complain about? All right, we, we recruited this kid for a year. We right. got we, we got him we got him commit verbally, you know, on, on Halloween. He, we we talked to him on Christmas and he was still feeling good. Oh shoot, big school down the road missed on one of their top targets, and they had you know they, they kind of kept this kid warm on the back burner, you know, burner, and uh, all the, they flipped him an offer, and now he can't pass up the opportunity to go to a Power Five school. Well, if he's signed on December twentieth, that February eighth flip never happens. That's going to be the, the the big benefit, I think. So, and, and so, in your mind at this point, they really are going to just, for the most part, just try to, you know, everybody's just going to basically like they're going to try to land all, sign all their guys. They're going to try to treat this as like December whatever twentieth or whatever it is, fifteenth uh, is February first. Every and coach I've talked to thinks they're going to try to sign the vast majority of their currently com- verbally committed I kids. Course, I guess, of course, they're going to try, but do you think they're going to succeed at it? I think a lot of them are going to get them. Yeah, because I, I think a the, the kids don't have a lot of leverage here, right? They're they're going to apply pressure to these kids, unfortunately, um, and a lot of kids are going to say, "Okay, this is the best. Am I really going to get a better offer right. over the next six weeks?" 
Probably not. Now, some schools won't send letters to some of their their verbally committed kids. Maybe if they're ready, if they're waiting on grades, or if they're waiting to see, you know, if another more highly rated prospect falls to them or something like that. But I, I think, I don't know. I, I'd be surprised if, if like less than seventy percent of verbals uh, sign. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess that is you can wait. You can hold out for an Ohio State offer, but. <laughs> You might not get it. And, and if I'm a coach at G5 school, I'm absolutely applying pressure to that kid. I'm saying, look, if you really want to wait, I mean, man, hey, good you know, good luck to you. But, you know, if we're, we're, we're Akron, right? And, and we're, right. we're having a nice year. And uh, look, man, we can go get somebody else to fill your spot. And, and, and then you're, you know, you, you don't have a spot with us anymore. What, what happens if Ohio State never comes for you? Right. And you're a kid. You've never done this before. So you don't have a whole lot of leverage or perspective in this process, especially if you don't have somebody good guiding you. You're probably going to sign that Akron paper. I'm so pissed that Akron beat Ohio yesterday. I talk up Ohio on Sunday and they choke on Tuesday. That's a lot of that's awesome. Um, How about Toledo, by the way? Like not choking in Mac play. They're they're having a pretty pretty yeah, good year. They got rocked by Ohio, so Ohio moves into my freaking like top twenty five. Yeah, um, and, oh, they did and, get rocked. My bad. And yeah, Ohio, but no, I mean otherwise Toledo's perfectly on schedule to finally actually win the uh, win the Mac, but they did blow that one. Uh, and then, and then Ohio, who's eight and three, and actually very good, then loses to Akron. So Akron at six and five is going to play Toledo in the conference title game. That's annoying. Um, and Toledo's probably going to beat them pretty probably solidly. Pretty bad, yeah. Although it's the MAC, so <laughs> that's <you know. laughs> yeah. Throw out the records in uh, in Detroit. Um, all right. So speaking of action, we it's time to talk about the the amazing Week Twelve. Uh, <laughs> God, this is a terrible. This is a terrible schedule for this week, and all the good games are at noon, noon Eastern, 11 Central. Uh, it's, it's an amazing schedule. All right, so Wednesday night, if you're listening to this as it got published, you are uh, prepping for a big threesome of action, uh, action tonight. You've got, and these will, again, be listed. I will be reading them in, uh, via Central Time Zone because that's what LSUfootball.net uses, uh, not just because that's where I am. Wednesday, November 15th, Eastern Michigan at Miami of Ohio, 6 p.m. Central on CBS Sports. Western Michigan at Northern Illinois on at 6 p.m. on ESPN2. And Toledo at Bowling Green, 7 p.m. on ESPNU. I would be floored if Toledo lost that one because Bowling Green is quite bad. But this does give me a chance to, if nothing else, acknowledge the year that Eastern Michigan has had. Um, after being the PAP and Darling coming out of nowhere to make a bowl this year, they have lost. Here, here's their here's their schedule so far. So they beat Charlotte, they beat Rutgers by last second field goal, then they lost by seven to Ohio, by four to Kentucky, by five to Toledo, by one to Army, by three to Western Michigan, by three to Northern Illinois. They crush Ball State, and then they lose by twelve uh, to Central Michigan. So they have lost. They are three and seven and sixty fourth in S and P plus. Like 64 than S&P Plus, that should, you should go about 8-4 and four if you're in the MAC and you're in the 60s. You should go 8-4, and four, maybe 9-3, and three, depending on your non-conference. Uh, they are looking at the very real possibility of going 4-8 and eight or 3-9 and nine with a decent team. That is uh, – that's rough. It's what that is. They have been a gambling darling this year, though. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you're, you're holding them with, with, with an underdog ticket, and that, as soon as they go to overtime, which they've played, what, two or three overtime like, games. Yeah, like every week is overtime. Uh they they play teams pretty close. I, I you know Eastern Michigan is is like in the gambling column. I talk a lot about uh, okay, separating good from great is really important. Yeah. But also separating like bad from terrible 
is extremely important as well. <laughs> and a lot of people, I think, just kind of look at okay, like the bot, like the bottom up forty is not the same thing, right? Like the bottom twenty is really pretty bad. Oh, Eastern yeah. Michigan's not even in any of those this year. Like they're just like a legitimate average college football team, and and they're pretty good to bet on if people still assume they're terrible. Yeah, my my second order wins that we, that uh, we talk about actually in Slack a decent amount. Um, they're three and seven. Their second order wins suggest they should be either five and five or six and four, uh, and they are three and seven. I mean, they almost beat you know Kentucky. They almost beat Toledo. Like good teams on their schedule, they managed to lose two, and now they play at Miami of Ohio, and they'll probably lose that one too, most likely by seven points. Uh, on, on background, I bug Bill for his second order win spreadsheet every week, and then I actually take him and I line up uh, the, the teams by each game. And then I'm like, okay, so this team was plus two and a half. This team was, was minus 1.4. So that's like a, like a 3.9 in the aggregate. And uh, huh, I may want to take a closer look at this one. Or a lot of times I'll use it to like say, you know, I, I had the bets I was going to make and for, for the column. I'm like, actually, that's, I mean, to take a closer look and not play this side because that is just the overwhelming bad luck uh, against me there. Do I, have I sent you that this week? I think I owe you that spreadsheet this uh, week. Not yet, but I've been okay. so busy this week, I actually didn't notice. Okay, good, so. good. Video, uh, video, video. <laughs> so Thursday, November 16th, we've got two more. We've got just two FBS games. We've got Buffalo at Ball State, uh, 6 p.m. on CBS Sports. Ball State. Yuck. Is, is, uh, all their good players got hurt in September, and they are truly atrocious now. Uh, really, the only drama there is that B- Buffalo could still get to 6-6. Six and six. Uh, Lance Leipold is doing a, a decent little job there this year. Uh, and Tulsa at USF. Um, I, yeah, Tulsa was terrible and then suddenly good and then terrible again. And you see USF is just crazy and unstable and, and fun and not always good ways. Uh, I'm assuming USF probably handles that one pretty well. Yeah, I think they will too. USF's offense is kind of sneaky bad, <laughs> um, but they, they they do hit big plays, and Tulsa will certainly give up some big plays. Also, Tulsa, I don't know in the last couple of weeks, but for a long stretch, they just did not stop the run at all. Yeah, um, and that's that's tough because USF certainly w- w- wants to run the ball. Yeah, they're not always good at it, but they're going to hit you with big plays at some point if you if they if you keep letting them do it. Uh, and and the South Florida defense is very aggressive and fun and. Uh, should be able to shut down. Tulsa's just never really gotten going this year. It's going to be a down, it was always going to be a down year for them, and it was it's been more down than anticipated. Friday, November seventeenth, uh, and the weekday schedule is as bad as the Saturday schedule. Friday, uh, we've got Middle Tennessee at Western Kentucky, seven p.m. on CBS Sports. That's a game that in the preseason seemed like a pretty dang good game, but Western Kentucky's been. Worse than expected. Middle Tennessee has been banged up and worse than expected. So blah. And then we've got UNLV at New Mexico, 8.30 p.m. on ESPN2. UNLV has lost a lot of close games. Hey! There you go. Uh, We've got... What the hell is Crazy 8? Oh, I think that's like a... Oh, I think that's a children's store that my wife shopped at last week. I Mm. hope. Or, you know something bad uh like one of those like strip mall slot machine places that's right i I don't know like she she you know goes places sometimes and then comes back (laughs) um unlv in new mexico 8 30 p.m unlv has had unlucky losses and unlucky wins and a really weird year and probably not going to a bowl and that's disappointing i thought tony sanchez would do a little more there this year i am swearing off new mexico by the way bill okay uh they have just absolutely cratered i Bet them a lot earlier in the year when when they were covering or or you know hanging close as a dog, but yeah, they're bad. La- three of the last five weeks, they've just thrown up the zero in the uh, uh, win expectancy column. Um, you know, they had a little bit. Of the, 
probably a lot of bad luck actually against Utah <laughs> State. But other than that, uh, I mean, A&M beat them 55-14, and, and New Mexico's offense did nothing. They, they, like they, I know they scored on like a kickoff return or a punt return. I mean, three points at Wyoming. Uh, that if, if New Mexico's offense can't hold the ball, and I really think that system Bob Davey runs there or whoever's offensive coordinator is, is actually pretty neat. I mean, yeah. the like the the wishbone from gun essentially right. yeah. kind of or, or, or flex bone from gun. Yeah. Uh, but th- if they can't move the ball or at least hold on to the ball and that defense just gets totally exposed and I, 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 I cannot play them the rest of the year. Yeah. I'm, I'm quickly spotting something little. now that I'm looking at their um, recent results. So their last six games, the road games, they beat air force by 18. They lost to Colorado state by three and they got super unlucky in losing to Utah state by 14, but they played those were at home. Yeah. Those were all at home. All right. Road games, 38 nothing at Fresno, 42-3 at Wyoming, 55-14 at A&M. So if you were wanting to jump to hop back on the horse, it would seem that betting on them to cover against UNLV might be a decent option at home, and then betting all your life savings on San Diego State to cover against them uh, next week would also probably be a decent bet. That, that's, that's very true. The one thing about the concerns about UNLV here is they, they played very well against Fresno and won. Uh, they, they really kind of dominated Hawaii. Uh, they threw up a whole 5% win, ex- win expectancy against BYU, which is not great. Uh, no. And I, I didn't get to watch that one. But, no. Uh, against BYU, yeah. You gave up 31 points to BYU. That might be a sign that you're about done for the year. But technically, it, I said they're probably not bowling. Technically, they, S&P says they have a 25% chance if they beat both New Mexico and Nevada on the road. Uh, clearly, neither of those are amazing teams. But oh, here's what happened, Bill. I, I pulled up on Football Study Hall the advanced box scores. Yes. Uh, average field position: BYU forty point five, UNLV seventeen point eight. So okay, so, when you've got when you only have to move like uh, thirty yards to get into field uh, field goal range, that probably helps a little bit. So that's Jeez. a that's a twenty uh, twenty three point three yard differential over eleven possessions. So you're the math guy. That's a that's about a lot of two hundred forty right yards plus some turnovers <laughs> luck apparently too. So yeah, they didn't. So I'm much. gonna take. I think I'm gonna take UNLV over over uh, over New Mexico yeah. in with the idea that two of their last three games have been good, and I don't know about New Mexico's offense right now. Okay, there we go. Um, Saturday early shift. All the important semi playoff related stuff happens in the morning. Basically, um, we've got. Uh, on CBS Sports, we got 11 a.m. Cincinnati at East Carolina. We've got Delaware at uh, Delaware State at Florida State on FSN affiliates and ACC video. Uh, we got UN, ULM at Auburn's for so uh, to open up SoCon Saturday on ESPN two. Oh God, that's on ESPN two. Uh, Mercer at Alabama uh, on the SEC network. Michigan at Wisconsin. The the one game that truly matters. We'll come back to that one. It's on Fox. We've got Minnesota at Northwestern on BTN. Mississippi State at Arkansas on CBS. Uh, Rutgers at Indiana on, B- on BTN. SMU at Memphis on ESPN News. TCU at Texas Tech. A, a, a sneaky important game there because Texas Tech is not terrible on FS1. Texas at West Virginia on uh, ESPN. U- UCF at Temple on ESPNU. Virginia at Miami, another sneaky game just because of hangover effects uh, on ABC. Uh, Citadel at Clemson at 11.20 on ACC Network. Uh, Pitt at Virginia Tech on ESPN Extra slash ACC Network. 
Uh, Lafayette at Lehigh, the world's oldest rivalry, I believe, uh, <laughs> is uh, on, I don't know, local cable, I guess is what that is, at 11.30 a.m. Fresno at Wyoming, they're kicking off at 1 p.m. Central Time. I guess that's only noon uh, mountain time and like and 11 a.m. Uh, Fresno time on MWC video. And then Iowa State at Baylor at 1.30 p.m. on, that's a weird time, on um, FSN affiliates. So, hmm. Michigan at Wisconsin. At the moment, it, it would appear that if you were going to play Michigan, you probably should have played them in October uh, because they did make the switch to Brandon Peters, and he has rewarded them for that switch, and he has rewarded me for asking for like the entire month of October. Are we sure that John O'Corn's better than Brandon Peters? Are we sure that maybe they shouldn't be playing the sophomore? Uh, he hasn't been asked to do much of anything. It must be said, uh, he was 10 for 14 against Rutgers, eight for 13 against Minnesota, nine for 18 against Maryland. Uh, but regardless, since the, he came into the game, they had, they had not scored in their last five games. They had not scored 30 points since he t- uh, moved into the lineup. They've scored 35, 33 and 35. So this actually kind of feels like a pretty scary game for Wisconsin at this point. It, it absolutely should. I mean, look, Michigan's defensive front is going to be – I'm trying to think here. What's the toughest defensive front that Wisconsin has seen? Um, Iowa, I guess. Northwest – well, wait. What is Northwestern's defensive – or what are their run numbers like this year? Uh, they're eh, – they're thir- yeah, okay. So Northwestern was 13th in, in rushing S&P Plus at the moment. Um and let's see, Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor only had uh, 19 carries for 80 yards against Northwestern. Bradrick Shaw had eight, nine for 34. So, yeah, I mean, that's if he can't average more than four or five yards per carry, um, then technically Michigan might be in a situation where they only need 21 to 24 points to win. Um, Wisconsin's defense is awesome. Really, really, really good. But, I mean, you only need a couple good drives on a turnover to get to 21 or 24 points. Exactly. Let let me ask you this. Would you rather have an all-star team of defensive lines faced so far by Wisconsin or Michigan's defensive line? (laughs) I think it's the all-star team just because of depth and and because of of, of seniority. But that the fact that you kind of had to think about it a little bit probably says, okay, this could be interesting here. This game being in in Wisconsin helps a lot. Uh, But man, Wisconsin throwing without play action is uh is it's not the same there it's not real pretty yeah i um, i talk up just how good wisconsin is from an identity standpoint uh but alex hornybrook and hornybrook i mean 64 percent completion rate eight yards per attempt he's they, like they clearly have a little more big play oomph than they have in previous years and they're 28th in passing s&p plus but 12 interceptions um and you know six percent sack rate and he can be baited let's put it that way he can be baited into making the exact kind of mistake michigan probably needs him to make a couple of times also it, it, here's a key stat here for you and, and this is something i just recalled because I, I covered the orange bowl last year when florida state played michigan and i've seen don brown's defenses as a florida state guy when he was at maryland and at boston college you do not go on long sustained drives against michigan right it does not happen. Like, and in fact, the numbers back me up on this. Michigan defense number one in the nation in efficiency, ninety yep. eighth in terms of explosiveness right. allowed. So, if you're Wisconsin, your offense uh, that doesn't match up real well with what you want to do because you're thirteenth in efficiency with sixty ninth in explosiveness. Yeah. 
Yeah, you got to be able to you got to be able to hit big plays against Michigan's defense because they will eventually get you off schedule with how much pressure they bring. Yeah, and I mean this is also um, I guess I mean to, to turn the prism a little bit. Brandon Peters hasn't thrown a pick yet, uh, and Wisconsin right now first in havoc rate overall. And, and again, their schedule has not been amazing, but they're first in overall havoc rate. Run one out of every four plays basically results in either a tackle for loss, a pass defense, or a forced fumble. Um, they're number one in linebacker havoc. They're number one in defensive back habit, uh, havoc, almost half of opponent com- incompletions are, are either intercepted or broken up by Wisconsin defenders. Um, now uh, schedule does play, does matter there because even if, uh, you know, even adjusting for opponent, you know, they haven't God, uh, Utah state, FAU, BYU, Northwestern, Nebraska, Purdue, Maryland, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, they haven't played a good passing game yet. Um, and not to say Michigan has one, but they've got five-star athletes at in at, in receiver who can who can maybe at least once or twice just beat Wisconsin defenders, kind of like Penn State did last year. Um, so there are opportunities here, but but um, they are also playing a sophomore quarterback who's starting like his third game or fourth game. Um, God, the tackle for loss numbers are ridiculous. Ryan Connolly five and a half, T.J. Edwards six, Alec James seven, Leon Jacobs eight and a half, Garrett Dooley nine and a half, Andrew Van Ginkle seven and a half, Connor Sheehy four. Uh, tons of other guys with one or two or three. They just they, they attack. They're really guys. good. Yeah, yeah. That, that front seven is nasty, and they they're well coached. And look, there were some questions about that young DC. Yeah, uh, coming in because yeah. he, uh, what's his name? He, he uh, uh, Leonard Jim Leonard. I had a ton of questions about it because it you, yeah. you don't you don't hire a, a second year coach as defensive coordinator. It made me nervous as hell, but it's worked so far. Yeah, exactly. So I'm uh, I'm very interested to see what 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 happens there. Um, obviously, the uh, Louisiana Monroe. Auburn game. I don't think Lewis and Monroe is going to win that, but there's tremendous backdoor potential there. Like Monroe's offense this year is under the radar strong. Okay. They are, I don't have your numbers pulled up, but I've watched them a couple of times and they can really score. And Auburn's laying 37 in that thing. Oh, geez. Yeah, that, that's is, a- that is backdoor all day and a letdown look ahead sandwich, right? They're, they're coming off the, the huge Georgia win and they have the iron bowl on deck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, th- those lines are the, always the ones where S&P picks the underdog. Like anything over thirty points, and you, and you can pretty much bet that uh, that you that S&P is taking the underdog in that one. But uh, yeah, I mean, if they can, it, it might almost you could almost say it might benefit them a little bit to have to work a little bit against ULM as long as they don't have to work too much. I guess. Oh, Bill, they're they're a thirteenth in your S&P offense. Really? Yeah. Damn. Uh, their defense is trash. One hundred twenty eight. <laughs> <laughs> you're, never gonna, you're never probably going to be good at both sides of the ball uh, when you're ULM, but I didn't realize they were that good. I mean, I, I'm just watching them like they score a lot of points, but that 13th is impressive. Yeah, that's um, huh. And, and unfortunately, they've got Auburn and FSU left, so they're probably not going to get the six <laughs> yeah. wins um, and, and Arkansas State in between. But they, yeah, they've he's he's made them competitive this year, and, and that's a tough job. Um, I did have a question here. Let's see. What was it? I marked the UCF. Oh, right. Okay. So, uh, Mike at Dodar 1592, uh, says after the season and if Scott Frost stays at UCF, do conferences take harder looks at expanding again? Unfortunately, I know, um, no, not, uh, I, I think we're still, I think we're stuck where we are for a few years here. I, I agree. I, I look, UCF could be a, try me nice here, a, a solid addition to uh, uh, some conferences, like they would be a, a good team in, in a number of leagues. But I think if you're expanding at this point, you are looking to take on 
either some kind of incredible market, but I think the TV markets thing is changing because of the, of the whole cord cutting and, and streaming stuff, uh, or a, a team that just would be like an absolute superstar in your league. And I don't think UCF is that in the long term. Yeah, yeah, um, and it sucks. I mean, I, I'm I'm as big a proponent as you're going to find for you know the bigger the more the more in the playing field the better. But um, I, I think we, especially with TV being so uncertain at the moment, I think we're we're stable for a little while here. Uh, and then another comment that I marked uh, to talk about here: the Citadel Clemson game. Uh, Brian Fremo, <clears throat> the uh, purveyor of FEI, the other rating system at Football Outsiders, guy I've worked with for a long time, he noted something that's pretty spectacular. Um, FEI, they're the top four teams in FEI right now. Clemson's number one. They're 11th in S&P. OU's number two. They're 10th in S&P. Auburn's number three. They're sixth in S&P. And Miami's number four. <clears throat> they're ninth in S&P. So the result of that, so each week after he, after we've both updated our rankings, I'll spit out the the F plus numbers, the combined the combination of the two. Um, Alabama's number one overall uh, at at, at plus fifty two point seven percent. Doesn't don't worry about what that means, but they're plus fifty two point seven. Ohio State is two at fifty two point three. Auburn is fifty two point zero. Georgia is fifty one point six. Miami is fifty one point three. Wisconsin's fifty one point zero. Oklahoma is fifty point seven. Penn State and Clemson are both fifty point three. So basically, the top nine are separated by two point four percent. Um, meanwhile, like the next nine at number 18, you're 14% lower at that point. You're down to 36% at Washington state. Like the top this, this week sucks, <laughs> no question, but weeks 13 and 14 are going to be a mess. Uh, there's so many things that happen. I did that win probabilities post this morning at SB nation that you can check out. And like, nobody has a better than like one in three shot at winning out pretty much. Like when we're talking about um, the, all the playoff contenders, lots of teams are going to lose. It's probably not going to happen this week. You know, Bill, something that, that struck me, you know, I was listening to, um, I think it was you and Richard. Uh, and you said that this year's Bama team, this year, this week or last week would have been like number seven in yeah. last year's rank. Yeah. Six or seven. Yeah. But I mean, there's a guy who had some really, truly elite teams in just bad luck years, right? Where, like if he had taken some of those Georgia teams right, in right. different years, maybe the luck is turning for Mark Richt here. You yeah. know, like like he that what, what were the two years that that Richt had those awesome teams, and then unfortunately, like just the like a super team existed that year, so he didn't win the national title. Yeah, Georgia in '02 went um, went thirteen and one, beat Florida State in the Sugar Bowl, uh, rocked Arkansas, lost to Florida twenty thirteen. Uh, in a game I've heard a lot about from Georgia fans. That was the year that Ohio State and Miami both went undefeated. Right. And, and then in O um what was, was it twelve? The uh the year Alabama beats yeah, him yeah, and they have to go play another game. Uh, they come up three yards short and then uh in oh seven they lose to South Carolina sixteen to twelve early in the year. Uh and then uh, finish 11 and two. Whereas if they were 12 and one and they get a shot at LSU in the sec title game, they very well, uh, they were p- quite possibly the b- the best team in the country at the very end of the year. Um, yeah. Like they, they just timing matters so much. And, and, uh, here's, you know, I, de- I, I just reflexively start bringing up Tom Osborne and everything when it comes to timing and, and it didn't quite work out, but you're right. I mean, this is the year, Miami is a very good team and they seem to be getting better. They just had their two best games of the year. Yes, exactly. Um, this is a year to, to be very good as opposed to being all time elite. This is a, a very good year to only be very good. It's like 2007 without the losses. 
<laughs> right, exactly. That's it's kind of pissing me off from a from a number standpoint. It's it's a total and extreme parody. Uh, but Alabama's still stupid undefeated at the top of the at the uh, of the list. Miami's a, a kind of a weird example of how a team can through about nine weeks just be extremely lucky and then hit their stride at the right time and all of a sudden go from lucky to both lucky and good. Right, like Auburn, 2010 Auburn, uh, or 2013 yeah. Auburn for that matter, um, a team that got much, much better late in the year. I guess 2013 Auburn never really stopped getting lucky, but 2010 Auburn was lucky to be undefeated. And they had a cheat code named Cam. Not a cheat code, that's, that's a bad thing because the whole scandal <laughs> thing, but the, like they basically just had like the easy button to mash when right. things got really messy. It's like, oh, okay, Cam Newton, all right. Yeah, and they still like won like 10 games by one possession or whatever it was, but they but late in the year they started looking awesome. Um, whereas they were doing just enough early in the year. So, yeah, I mean, it, and there could be, there really is a case to be made that coming back from hurricane and all that um, really just disrupted a lot of things for Miami and, and well, other teams too, I guess. But, um, you know, they really should have almost certainly should have lost to either Florida state or North Carolina. Uh, looking back on those two games, Syracuse, uh, they, they really kind of took their time getting by Georgia tech. They needed a late pass to win. Um, they really just barely got by in all of those games after looking great against Toledo and Duke, by the way, right after the hurricane. Um, but yeah, now, I mean, 2018 against v- VTech and, and 41, eight against Notre Dame is ridiculous. They, they're looking really, really good right now. Um, and Manny Diaz defense friend of the program. Manny Diaz has to go show me up. I talk about how bad their run defense is. So they say, Oh yeah. And, and they crushed Josh Adams. They were terrible. Like, like they, they were really <laughs> bad all year, despite not facing like that many great run attacks. And uh, yeah, but not, not anymore. Now, t- two straight weeks. They've shut it down. Yeah. That was, it was really impressive. Bill, uh, speaking of Diaz real quick, who do you have in Texas, West Virginia? <sighs> Well, the, the, the trick here with Texas is how good is the team that, the, you know, the answer is, to that deter, dictates how well Texas plays. Um, because I, I would say West Virginia is good enough to get a good Texas, but I kind of like West Virginia. I still, Will Greer makes me nervous every time he throws it. It's like, I mean, he's, he's like, you know, double clutch jump kind of whatever, but they're really fun. I, I would assume that they take it. I think they'll just score too many points for Texas. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually like going on the road and beating Kansas state. It was kind of impressive. Like that was, that was a solid win for them. Yeah. Um, they're good. I, this was a, and I mean, we, I, I, I talked to West Virginia fans a lot in the off season because my, my projections hated them. Uh, they lost so much from last year and you know, a, I'm not really the system I've set up. Doesn't, isn't really equipped to, to take transfers into account. I'm trying to figure out a way to, to work on that a little bit. So, um, it didn't really take into account real, will Greer. Um, it didn't take David Sills being the ultimate red zone threat of all time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like 18 t- he has 55 catches and 18 touchdowns he's not even the leading receiver gary jennings has more catches yards and, and targets but he has one touchdown still has 18 that's gary jennings is like that running back that, that gets you all the way down the <laughs> field and handed it to the fullback uh, yeah that, that is it, it's very weird right now at, at west virginia but i enjoy them very much i assume they'll get it done especially at home um 230 games we <laughs> Ooh, all right, so Arizona State at Oregon State, 2 p.m. on Pac-12 Network. UMass at BYU, uh, 2 p.m. on BYU TV and ESPN Extra. Georgia Tech at Duke at 2.30 on FSN Affiliates. Illinois at Ohio State on ABC at 2.30 p.m. Illinois at Ohio State oh, gosh. on right. ABC. 
Kansas State at Oklahoma State on ESPN2. Yeah, okay, Kansas State, Oklahoma State's on ESPN2, but Illinois, Ohio State is on ABC. Um, Kentucky, Georgia is your 230 CBS game. Maybe not. Poor CBS. I know, they just, it's been tough for them this year. They've just gotten so many. I wrote about this like six weeks ago, and SEC fans called me a troll, but it was actually much worse than I even thought. (laughs) Like, it it, it was like, oh, God, this is. Yeah, I actually, when they were announcing this week's schedule, I was thinking, oh, my God, is Vanderbilt, Missouri going to get on CBS just uh, (laughs) by virtue of it being a league game? Uh, But they went with whatever that was, Arkansas, Mississippi State instead, which is a poor choice by them, by the way. Um, Yeah. Let's see. So Navy at Notre Dame, 2.30 on NBC. Oklahoma at Kansas on ESPN at 2.30. You've got Kansas and Illinois at 2.30 on the ABC slash ESPN slots. Purdue at Iowa, 2.30 p.m. on BTN. San Jose State at Colorado State on CBS Sports. Syracuse at Louisville at 2.30 on ESPNU. Houston at Tulane, 3 p.m. on ESPN News. Maryland at Michigan State, 3 p.m. on Fox uh nebraska at penn state 3 p.m on fs1 uab at florida 3 p.m on sec network wofford at south carolina 3 p.m on sec network as well uh uh, sorry sec and plus the alternate alternate uh, sec at network station and coastal carolina at idaho league battle coastal carolina at idaho 4 p.m espn extra uh so uh, usually what we we do is we we say, you know, what game are you going to pick to watch this time? I'm not even going to do that. I, I I don't even know. that This is a pure get, have the remote control in your cha- in your hands at all time, maybe run to the grocery store kind of thing here. Um, if you have like the living room set up where, where you drag out the extra TV, this is not a weekend where you're going to need to do that. Like, I don't think we're going to have enough quality football to actually have multiple games on multiple TVs at one time. Like we can just you can just switch back and forth on one on one, you know, one box and it'll be fine it's, yeah don't, don't this isn't the week to annoy your wife um no and in fact like i'm not sure i'm gonna watch college football this weekend because we, we didn't get a bye week now like we didn't get a four state bye week with the hurricane oh that's right yeah right so i'm like yeah you know i might uh might, might, might do something on saturday and that's uh <laughs> that's just fine we um okay the, the one question one question we did get here that has to be addressed uh, our friend Bean at Darth Bean eighteen asks: S and P gives UAB a sixty one percent chance to beat Florida. Do you agree? Not sixty one percent. But what did you say the line was for UAB Florida? Earlier, the money line the line is eleven, and the money line was plus three sixty. I'm like, ah, uh, that seems out of whack. So I'm going to go ahead and take a little piece of that. Uh, I, man, I. I, I cannot tell you how unimpressed I've been with Randy Shannon. <laughs> uh, this this has not really been a good audition for him to be a head coach uh, at a major college football program again. But uh, I nor has Florida's defense for the entirety of the year. Right, that's true. Um, I mean that. Oh, oof. did I see that that Franks is starting instead of Zaire? Yes, okay. Zaire is, is questionable. Okay, well, or day to day or something like that. Florida, um, I'll pick Florida to win to beat mighty UAB. Uh, I'm taking those points, though. Hell yeah. Like, I mean, even if Florida controls the proceedings, it might only win by 10. Um, UAB there's also win. some, like, there's some state media hilarity potential here because it's on SEC. <laughs> yes. You know, and they're, they're like, they have to, like, prop up the SEC team because that's the SEC network. And I'm, I'm sure when ACC gets one, if it ever happens, that'll how that'll be how it is, too. But, like, for them to, be like, prop up the Gators when they're down by a touchdown in fourth quarter to a team that didn't exist last year. Uh, is that's going to be some comedy gold. <laughs> yeah. UAB, by the way, um, 
they have a very they're aggressive they're 23rd in success rate allowed um and and uh, florida's offensive front hasn't done much of anything in a while and their center's out for the year now too so for the year um that is like i mean if they hold up if the offensive line holds up there's they should be okay they should score enough points uh but uab can't really pass they can't really take advantage of that all that much um their run game is is fine they don't they avoid negative plays they kind of avoid mistakes but defense has been kind of driving a lot of their success um so florida holds up great but there's i i don't know how you could guarantee Florida's offensive line is going to hold up to the tune of S uh, of Florida minus 11 or whatever. That's crazy. Yeah. That's uh that, that to me is a line where like, okay, public not really paying attention. Like UAB didn't exist last year. It's still the Gators, that, that, that type of thing. This is also yeah, kind of a weird emotional spot for them, right? Like they just went on the road to South Carolina and next week they get the Knowles. Yeah. Like how focused can you actually be on, on UAB? Um, yeah. Like I think Bill, your system, by the way, the S and P, I think, is the high water high water marker or, or or the high man on the uh, on the Blazers because Sagarin <laughs> has them down there in the hundreds, and uh, Brian has them at seventy ninth. Yeah, I actually one of the things I've noticed this year. So I, I, I noticed it enough to where I had to go back and and tinker and see what was going on. Um, the the mid majors are well represented in in S and P plus this year, and. I started like I, I started looking at like the games they're that S and P is missing on, or the teams they're missing on, like a, a per conference kind of like who's um, who is S and P missing low or high on, and it's been overall if you just separate everybody into P five and G five, like twenty fifteen, it was pretty much dead on. Like the like it was something like when P five teams played G five teams it missed low on P five teams by like 0.2 points per game or something. It was almost dead on overall. Then last year it missed high. It missed low on P five teams, meaning it underestimated P five teams by about three points per game. Uh, same formula. And this year, same formula. It's missing P five teams by seven points a game, which is interesting. I think, I mean, part of it, I think is because there's been a lot of a role reversal mid season as to who's good and who isn't. Uh, and hmm. the teams that missed on, and, and this is basically, I mean, so this includes the weeks where you had the preseason projections. Um, but even then you would expect it to miss on like Tennessee or Baylor or some of the teams that, um, that it had projected a lot higher than where they are now. You would expect that that would drag those averages down, but it, it's really, uh, it's been a weird year. And I say that as, I mean, I, I could not be happier with how S and P has, uh, has performed the last two weeks, uh, 56% against the spread, something like an error rate of like 10, uh, points per game, which is anything below 12 is spectacular. Um, it's been dialed in the last two weeks, but uh, the year as a whole, it's really on these P five versus G fives games. It's missed a lot of them. So basically if you want to take that in mind, you see that UAB is projected to win by five using what we've learned from the year. Maybe that means Florida is projected to win by two. Um, if the, if the averages hold for the years as, as overall, but it's been the same formula has produced very different results this year in that specific instance, P five versus G five, uh, than it has other, uh, in other years. And, and even if you haven't Florida projected to win by two, taking plus 300 is still nice. Cause that winning by two is not a 75% win ex- expectation. Right? No. Uh, Nebraska could get killed by Penn state like yes. that. That could be sort of the, the final straw thing there. Um, somehow, which somehow hasn't occurred yet, by the way. Um, they just gave up a million rushing yards to Minnesota and he's not fired yet. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, 
when you fire, you've, you know, if they're going to fire him, they already have their list. They've already been talking to agents. They, I mean, the, the wheels don't start rolling when you fire somebody, but regardless, it is kind of surprising to keep stringing him along. Maybe they do wait till the moment they're eliminated from bowl eligibility. Maybe that's what it uh, is here. Cause I mean, Hey, beat Penn state and Iowa. You can still go six and six. Syracuse gave up 63 points to, to uh, wake forest at home last week. And now they have to go play a road game at Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Lamar man. Jackson should be in New York. I mean, I, I understand I, if you want to give it to Baker, but I, he really should should be at the ceremony at the very least. Yeah, Baker's been amazing. And, you know, Saquon fell back and all that. So if Baker runs away with it, great. I mean, he's been top, what, six or so the last two years. Um, yeah, great. I, I understand. Uh, but, yeah, Lamar better freaking make it to New York. If he doesn't, because his defense is terrible. And, you know, he's producing better numbers and better team numbers in terms of S&P um, with like, uh, you know, Bonifan, the quarterback turned receiver, turned running back beside him in the backfield and a brand new receiving core. I'll be so pissed if he doesn't make it to New York. That's all I ask for. And apparently he's going to put up like 800 yards against Syracuse. So he's got that yeah. going for him. Syracuse just allowed 694 yards oh to wake, wake Forest. Uh and it wasn't all explosiveness. I mean, Wake, Wake had a 53% success rate on rushing and a 54 on passing. So, so pretty balanced there. Not, it wasn't just explosive plays. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hope, I hope Lamar puts up 500 yards a game the rest of the year and goes out well. Um, I still would assume he, even though he's not going to be projected as a first-rounder, I don't think he has anything left to prove at college, so he should go ahead and test it out. Oh, Syracuse pass rush. Did you, did you look at the, at the box for this? Uh-uh. Passing downs. Wake Forest throwing the ball. 11 of 14, a buck 71, 79%. No sacks, no picks. By the way, keep that in mind next time you see uh, that Clemson is ranked number two in the freaking college football playoff rankings. That ticks me off uh, that they're ahead of Oklahoma. Um, Do you think Auburn's win helps Clemson? Auburn's win helps Clemson, but they still have one top 15 win, and OU has three, two of which were on the road. Um, like Auburn's win definitely helped, and I, I think what I saw somebody say – like last night, they said something about uh, Iowa State's loss. Now that Iowa State's only six and four, that loss hurts Oklahoma a little bit more. Forgetting that you know, Clemson lost to Syracuse, and, and maybe there's some sort of weird bump that they're getting because their quarterback, because Bryant got hurt against Syracuse, but they were losing before he got hurt. Um, and the only reason they were as close as they were is because I think there was like what a fumble return touchdown in that game or a pick six, one or the other. So I just really. Clemson could absolutely win the national title, turn it on and win the national title. They have not earned the number two ranking yet in my eyes. It's kind of annoying. Do you think a one loss Miami, if they lose the championship, the AC title game to Clemson would get in over either a two loss Auburn SC champ or a two loss Ohio state big 10 champ? I don't think so. I almost think that Miami has to lose. If they're going to be two loss or one loss, I should say, uh, they need to lose to like Pitt or Virginia and then beat Clemson. So they have Clemson and Notre Dame on the wins list. That makes I, sense. Yeah. And whatever vaunted conference title bump they get from that. I think that's almost what they have to be to, to get in with one loss. Although, I mean, there's a chance we end up, you know, looking at a pretty, uh, having to consider two loss teams pretty hard. So, I mean, if that's the case, then just simply having one loss will help. But I think you'd have to have one loss and the ACC title. Uh, we need a, uh, roll through the evening slate here, and this will not take long at all. Uh, 5.30 p.m. on BN, 
Army at North Texas. Uh, B in Stalwart, North Texas, I believe. Uh, Arizona at Oregon at 6 p.m. on Pac-12. Boston College versus UConn at Fenway Park at 6 p.m. on CBS Sports. CBS Sports is loaded with, with action this week. Mm. Uh, LSU at Tennessee, 6 p.m. on ESPN. Texas A&M at Ole Miss, uh, 6 p.m. on ESPN2. Missouri at Vanderbilt, baby, 6.30 p.m. on SEC Network. Uh, that I, I think that game should not have been quarantined. That should have been the damn ESPN two game. If you ask me, North Carolina state at wake Forest, six 30 PM on ESPNU Cal at Stanford, uh, on Fox, uh, 7 PM on Fox. I mean, Hey, rivalry game, I guess. At um, least Bruce Feldman that, you know, can drive to this one. That's right. Uh, UCLA at USC, 7 PM on ABC. We're loading up with, with pac 12 matchups in primetime at the wrong week. Um, but regardless, it, USC UCLA is very pretty to watch, you know, color wise, color scheme wise. Uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and include the night shift because it's, it's, uh, uh, air force at Boise state, 9 15 PM on ESPN two Boise state has lost to air force three straight years somehow. Um, but I think air force is just about done for the year. Nevada mm-hmm. at San Diego state, 9 30 on CBS sports and Utah at Washington, 9 30 PM ESPN. I will say Washington falling all the way to 19 or 18th threw me off a little bit. Um, I still think they're very good. Clearly they have lost two games they shouldn't have, and therefore they're not a, a playoff factor or anything, but 18th is, is pretty rough. They really, that, that whole quote unquote scheduling intent thing, not only has propped Clemson up, but has dragged Washington down dramatically. What are your favorite Washington wins of the Chris Peterson era? <laughs> Stomp in Washington State tends to come in pretty handy for them, so I'll go with one of those. Uh, they've handled the uh, and the Stanford those, win last year. Yeah, the Stanford win. Uh, they were very. I mean, they're a very good program, but yeah, the, yeah their schedule has not been um, has not given them many t- chances to show that they're a very good program at the moment. I mean, this is kind of the old Boise thing, right? Except they happen to be in a conference. If you're going to schedule so lightly, you have to stomp everybody. Yeah. And they stomp most everybody, but then they, everybody. they stub their toe, and it's just, you know, it's not. Uh, their, it's offense, not their offense has been disappointing this year, I will say that. Um, you know, Gaskin is still, you know, 1,000 yards, six whatever yards per carry, but um, they, the offense has disappeared randomly. Seven points against Arizona State, 22 against Stanford. Um it's, well, I mean, obviously it's cost them. They needed to go undefeated, and they very much didn't do it. Uh, let's see. What other questions do we have to wrap things up with? Uh, I got a Boise question. Why TF, I'm pretty sure I know what that stands for, is Boise ranked? <laughs> That's from Garrett McClintock at GJ McClintock. Um, Boise's good. That's that's the best answer I have. They were, if like, if you study them, if you were taking them, if you're considering them as like an NCAA tournament team, and obviously we're not, but like, the fact that Rippon was hurt in September uh, when they were struggling so badly and when they got stomped by Virginia, I believe like the fact that, that, that they had a lot of people, no, no, he was back for that, that game, but they still, he wasn't very good yet. Uh, since the Virginia game, they've won every game by double digits until winning at Colorado state. And I still think Colorado state's pretty good. Uh, they won that game in overtime. <clears throat> they're just, I mean, they're a good team. They are 27th in S and P they're eight and two. Um, top 50 in both offense and defense now, which is shocking considering where that offense was. Um, Those I, last I three weeks, though, on offense, I mean, 83%, yeah. 92%, 96%. Get yeah. some. I mean, that's... Uh, have been adjusting for opponent with those numbers, too. Yeah, I mean, 41, 41, and 59 points. They're, they're figuring it out. They figured it out. They're a good team now. I don't have any problem with them being top 25. And now that I've said that, they will lose to Air Force for the fourth straight year. 
Um, and they're going to be Air Force. Uh, Air Force is not very good. No, they're not. Uh, this is finally the year where Air Force experienced complete and total turnover on the two deep, and it caught up to them. Usually, usually because of that, they get projected like 120th in S and P, and they end up 60th. But uh, this year, they're a lot closer to 120th. Uh, we got one last question from Morgan Ellsworth at Jarg Not. Uh, is this Oregon recruiting thing sustainable in the long run? Uh, Taggart be, sticking around being the obvious caveat. Yes, it, it is sustainable, uh, certainly with, with, with that caveat. Uh, but also, you have to turn some of the recruiting, like, like eventually I always talk about making this shift, right? Can you make the shift of hype and newness of coach and staff and sort of that new car smell into proof of concept, Right. Because eventually that new car smell wears off and you have to show that the car actually drives and doesn't break down after 15,000 miles, which I think he'll do because Willie has done a great job at both, uh, you know, West Kentucky and South Florida. Um, and I think he'll start winning more games there at Oregon. They've had a lot of injuries this year. They've had quarterback injuries. I know Freeman, Royce Freeman, their running back, uh, was, was beat up for a while. Look, Willie Taggart is a great recruiter. Yeah. Mario Cristobal is a great recruiter. Yeah. You have both those guys on the same staff. You have a couple other guys on that staff who are young and hungry, and you have a really good sort of like grizzled old defensive coordinator dude who knows what to do with that talent you bring in. I think Oregon will do really good things with him, assuming they can keep him, which that – look, keeping Willie Taggart might be the tougher thing than, than actually winning right. with Willie Taggart. Just looking at the rumors and knowing how those rumors that you hear, you know, so-and-so is, is uh, you know associated with this job, you know that comes from agents and reporters and connections and all that. We know how that works now. Uh, but the simple fact that his name has already been brought up a few times <clears throat> in connection with certain jobs, even if he doesn't get those jobs, that's a sign that, I mean, number one, maybe his agent is looking, and number two, schools don't really trust that he's married to Oregon and that he cannot be gotten. Well, he's a Florida guy. Right. And he's, recruiting, he's still trying to recruit Florida all the way across the country. And he's doing a very good job of it. Um, you know, but at the same time, look, being a Florida guy and a Florida recruiter is a very valuable commodity uh, at, at Oregon, but also at places that are a lot closer to Florida. Yeah. Um, so there's there's reason to to think, okay, how long can we keep this guy? Yeah. But yeah, uh, the contingency being that he does stay. Yeah, I think they're they're fine. I mean, they number one, they're sixty seventh in defensive S and P plus, and considering where they were last year, that's a dramatic improvement. And then you look at how they've done it; they're nineteenth in success rate and one hundred seventeenth in um, in isolated points per play. They're very they're aggressive, they're efficient, they're trying to do what Levitt wants to do. They just haven't quite been able to. Uh, do it consistently yet because again they were terrible defensively last year and they still have a bunch of freshmen and sophomores and juniors very few seniors uh, contributing on defense so yeah i mean i think in terms of a plan in the seeds kind of year this is fine they're they're fine it's just can they keep this recipe not only that can they keep levitt like if you know bill snyder's rumored to retire every single year if this is the year he actually does uh, you know levitt once that w- would not mind at all being Kansas state head coach granted at this point, neither would Brett Bielema, uh, neither would some other coaches with pretty decent uh, resumes overall or pedigrees, but he would get consideration for that job and, and keeping him and Cristobal and then keeping Taggart as well. It's going to be kind of tricky. Very tricky. Sorry. I, I got momentarily distracted. Uh, one of the local newspapers dropped a, uh, their headline is exactly my subhead from an article three days ago. So <laughs> that's cool. Uh, imitation flattery etc yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> hey we've, we've been on google for 72 hours before that so i think we'll stay there <laughs> that's right we you know it's all about the google um all right well we this was 
lengthy and I think a lot of fun. And I think uh, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, as far as I know, Godfrey might be back on Sunday. He might be back in like March. So, um, you know, we'll just keep on, keep the, the, the guest host train rolling and hell, we might circle back around to bud, uh, if he, once he's gotten a little oxygen around national signing day. Um, but yeah, this is, this is, I think a, a, a week of football that I really can't say anything more about than that. Um, just get some rest, do run your errands. The next two weeks after this are going to be absurd, but yeah, watch your team and go run some errands on Saturday. Bill, what is the number one, uh, like around the house project or honeydew list that you need to get done this weekend? Well, we knocked out, I had to knock some leaves off the roof yesterday. That was the big, um, Thursday afternoon activity or sorry, sorry, excuse me, Tuesday afternoon activity. Um, that kind of piled up because we have trees all around our house. So that one's, that was off the table now, which feels good. Um, still got a lot of raking to do because of those trees, but having to get up on a ladder with like a, a broom in one hand and knock at stuff, that's, that's never necessarily a lot of fun. And we have a very steep roof that I didn't want to climb onto. So, um, yeah, that, that was, I'm good. I'm looking pretty good for the weekend, I think, because we got that out of the way on Tuesday. How about you? Uh, I, well, I, I got to cut the grass and, uh, may have to do a little painting. So I, I guess we'll get that knocked out and, uh, got, got to consult with the, uh, with the decision maker in the household as well to, to see. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Uh, lucky for me right now, uh, she is helping her parents, uh, with a lot of stuff at their new house. Um, so that means our task list right now basically consists of keeping the house clean and that's fine. Nice. Oh, by the way, I, I looked at this PAPN listeners. Why don't y'all give some good ratings to to the podcast on, on iTunes? They only have 106 five star ratings. I I know what kind of numbers they do, and I know what kind of numbers our FSU show does. And we have 900 five stars, and they only have 105 stars. Let, I know this is a podcast that focuses on G5. Let's give them some blue chip ratings here. If you guys like this show, it only takes a couple seconds just to type a sentence or two about how awesome the show is, and give them five stars, and that helps elevate their ranking in the. Uh, like the what's hot on iTunes and also in the suggested listings. So go, uh, go help them out with that. Never underestimate how bad I am at self-promotion. Uh, Bill, you guys, you guys only have, since the season started, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you only have eight reviews and they're all five stars. Everybody loves the show. It's super popular. <laughs> go, go get, go give these guys a review. It helps out. Our listeners are very antisocial too. So, you know, they don't necessarily want to put themselves out there. That's what I'll say. Uh, That's true. I wonder if you could be anonymous in review. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't remember. Um, I being relatively antisocial have never reviewed anything myself, so I can't say anything. I'm, I'm part of the problem. You can follow Bud Elliott at Bud Elliott three on Twitter. Uh, he is also the director of SB nation recruiting at SBN recruiting, the founder of Tomahawk nation at Tomahawk nation. Uh, listen to his recruiting podcast with Morgan Moriarty because among other things, Hey, uh, as soon as the regular season ends, we're going to drown in recruiting for like two weeks and uh, catch up to where everybody is on that. In that regard, you can follow me at SBN underscore Bill C. If you want to follow my Instagram account that I update like once every two weeks, like with a picture of a dog, it is all, it is uh, also SBN underscore Bill C. And uh, I think that just about covers it. Uh, get some rest. This, the end of the season is going to be crazy because nobody's actually good this year. It's going to be fun.